Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. This is episode 165, titled, All Spotlights on the Virgin Birth. Subtitle, Thoughts on the Incarnation. In season one, episode eight, Jesus was born of a virgin, I take a 24-minute deeper look into the miracle of the virgin birth, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It's a good beginning into a deeper study. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is first and foremost manifestation of the three greatest manifestations of God's all-powerful divine strength, grace, love, and majesty. The other two core manifestations of God's divine power are the resurrection of Jesus from the dead in bodily form, and thirdly, the salvation of lost people's souls. It's good for us as individuals and as churches to slow down and give these special times of remembrance our full heart. It's easy to go through the Christmas season on autopilot and lose the wonder of it all. I'm splitting this podcast into two parts so it can be enjoyed more in bite-sized pieces since this is a busy time of year. Part one is some brief reminders about what incarnation means that I've drawn from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Part two will be some thoughtful quotes on the incarnation I found on goodread.com. Here are some brief reminders about what incarnation means. Every sentence is power-packed. Most of the quotes center around what the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Here is what the incarnation of Jesus Christ means. The eternal God became, by a voluntary act in time, a man. It was a definite act that involved a change in the life history of the eternal God. He entered upon a mode of existence in which the experiences that belong to human beings would also be his. The dependence, the weakness, which constitute the very idea of flesh in contrast with God would now enter into his personal experience. It is precisely because these are the connotations of the term flesh that John chooses that term instead of the more simple term man. His choice of words focuses our attention on what it is to become man. The contrast between the word as the eternal God and the human nature which he assumed as flesh is the hinge of the statement. The flesh of our Lord became, on its assumption by the word, the temple of God on earth, and the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. John tells us expressly that this glory was visible, that it was precisely what was appropriate to the Son of God as such, and we beheld his glory, he says, not divined it, or inferred it, but perceived it. Jesus' glory was open to sight and the actual object of observation. Jesus Christ was obviously more than man. He was obviously God. His actually observed glory, John tells us further, was a glory as of the only begotten from the Father. It was unique. Nothing like it was ever seen in another. And its uniqueness consisted precisely with what the unique Son of God sent forth from the Father would naturally have. Men recognized and could not but recognize in Jesus Christ the unique Son of God. The visible glory of the incarnated Word was such a glory that would naturally be manifested as the unique Son of God, sent forth from the Father, who is full of grace and truth. Jesus is all that God is, and He alone is this. Though no one has ever yet seen God, yet He who has seen Jesus Christ, God only begotten, has seen the Father. In this remarkable sentence, there is asserted in the most direct manner the full deity of the incarnate Word and the continuity of His life as such in His incarnate life. Thus, He is fitted to be the absolute revelation of God to man. In this truth, viewed in its practical consequences, 
John sees the core of the church's faith and the root and safeguard of its life. Let me repeat that again. This is very important, folks. This is something that is under attack today. To speak of the birth of Jesus as a story not grounded in history is to call under attack the foundation of the church. And this truth viewed in its practical consequences, let me say it again. John sees the core of the church's faith and the root and safeguard of its life. The incarnation alone secures and guarantees the Christian revelation of God. With its denial, that revelation is canceled. 1 John 2.23 says, No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. Above all, it is only in the life and death of Jesus, the incarnate Son, that we possess a valid revelation of God's self-sacrificing love. 1 John 4.9 says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. With the denial of this, the Christian ethic is drained of its very lifeblood. The natural result of making man's salvation easy, so to say for God, was to make it easy for man also. Salvation by creed without conduct, knowledge without love, or love that paid its debts with goodly phrases and empty words. John's writing was not concerned with a word or a formula, but the raising of humanity to divine life through the God-man. The ultimate significance of the incarnation of the Son is that in Him, the eternal life of God has flowed into our humanity and become a fountain of regenerative power to as many as received Him. Check out John chapter 1, verse 12. The one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. We're told that in 1 John 5, 12. Jesus, born of a virgin, is the divine human Christ who stands in a unique, vital relation to men, reproducing in them his own character and experiences as the vine reproduces itself in the branches. Wow, friend, just think about it. So much in the one act of Jesus coming as a baby that blessed night. Rest in these truths, friend. Let them wash over you and capture your heart and soul this Christmas season. Give thanks to God alone that Jesus has come. Friend, let's commit this Christmas season to pray for the lost who have yet to come into the light of God's love and experience this soul-saving, spirit-birthing, life-giving, joy-giving, peace-bestowing truth. And with that, I bid you peace.